Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is Season three, episode one. And uh, this is actually uh, a moment that people in the U.S. and all around the world, we're told in 42 countries are listening to Equipping You podcast. This is a moment that they have been waiting for, and it has finally arrived, the first episode of season three. It's a split episode today. I'm coming to you from Colorado Springs, home of prairie dogs so poke your head up out of the ground and uh, get ready for 10 episodes of season three and alan's coming to us live from middletown pennsylvania a former home of three mile island nuclear power plant and so if you turn out the lights alan glows in the dark yes i'm thankful that the three mile island part is still there it's the power plant that's going to be former here. I think yes, so. indeed. If the island wasn't there, I would really be nervous right now. That, that would be nerve-wracking. <laughs> so I'm Terry, Church Ministries Leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, the Church Planning Leader in Eastern PA and Coordinating for the Northeast Region of the United States. Yes, still the long title that I can't seem to describe shortly. Yes. So uh, also joining me here in the studio today are co-producers, AJ the Hat Man, although he's the hatless one right now, uh, Gutierrez. Welcome, AJ. Thanks. Good to be here. Wouldn't matter because I couldn't see it from Pennsylvania anyhow. And, of course, Caitlin, the laugh, Guyberson. hey She is here with us as well. <laughs> and uh, we have a special guest joining us uh, today, Alan, someone that you have uh, connected with through a church planning network. Let us know who that guest is, would you? I would love to let you know that. It is Ed Stetzer, who many would consider to be the foremost expert on church planning in North America. He's also the executive director of the Billy Graham Center uh, for Evangelism at Wheaton College and a multitude of other things, which I'm sure he'll tell us a little bit about in the podcast interview. So uh, he is, as you said, the executive director of the Billy Graham Center, and he's also the interim pastor of the Moody Church, D.L. Moody. So appropriately today, we're going to talk to Ed about uh, the subject of evangelism. That makes perfect sense. It really does. Which is wow. amazing for us. So uh, <laughs> sit back, relax, grab some leftover Christmas cookies and some hot chocolate. Here we go. And it's our pleasure to welcome to the Equipping You podcast, Ed Stetzer. Ed, thanks a bunch for being on with us today and taking the time. Glad to do it. Thanks for having me. For those listeners who may not know much about you in terms of your background, we know uh, current stuff, but uh, tell us a little bit about your um, personal and ministry background, if you would. Sure. Personal background, grew up Long Island outside of New York City, Irish Catholic uh, household, came to Christ in the charismatic movement of the Episcopal Church, um, kind of tail end of uh, uh, that. Um, that was a bigger thing in the early 70s and then later 70s and 80s less so, but came to Christ there. Went to high school and moved down from New York to Florida. Went to high school, met my girlfriend, now wife there. We moved up to 
Buffalo, New York, after he graduated college and planted a church there in the inner city of Buffalo, New York, among the urban poor. And, you know, loved it there. We planted churches uh, in New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and Georgia over the years. And then, um, you know, for about 10 years, I was at the Lifeway. I was head of Lifeway Research, probably where uh, most of our data came from. And about three and a half years ago, I moved to Chicagoland to be the head of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. And that's where I've been serving now for three and a half years. I'm also the interim teaching pastor at a church called the Moody Church in downtown Chicago. That's kind of a fun place because it's got some historic roots. So that's me. In a nutshell, I'm married to Donna. I have three daughters, Caitlin, Jacqueline, and Kristen, and they are the joy of my life. Fantastic. So, hey, and you made an alliance connection while you were in planting in Pennsylvania, right? I remember I've heard you talk about that. That's right. Exactly right. So Rick Crocker was the pastor of First Alliance. And when our church was there, um, we got a lot of cold shoulder from everybody. The you know, church planning, this would be 94. Church planning wasn't that cool then. And the Baptists <laughs> were mad at us. And the Assemblies of God were mad at us. And the Lutherans were mad at us. The Methodists were mad at us. Rick Crocker was the pastor of First Alliance. Yeah, I'm not sure the town. It might Eerie. be Mill Creek, but there's also another town right next to called McCain. And he, my, he said, listen, make this your church home while you're, while you're planting this church. Uh, we want to love on you, encourage you. If you got counseling needs, our counseling center, you send them to here. It's on, we'll take care of that. And what a blessing. I think he later, later led the city mission. I don't, I don't really, I haven't kept up. So, but he was a super blessing, just a kingdom minded partner and great to see the Alliance pastors thinking and acting that way. Good to hear. Love to hear that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, so there's a plethora of things that we could have chosen to talk to you about today, Ed, but uh, we've chosen the topic of evangelism, uh, a vitally important topic. And so you've written several posts in your blog recently about, about evangelism, wondering what's motivate you, motivating you to write about that at this time. Yeah, well, I, for probably for several reasons, but I would say that one of the things that I have become convinced of in the last uh, few years is that we have entered a bit of a lull, maybe maybe more than a bit of a lull, maybe a decade or two lull in evangelistic passion among evangelicals. Now, which is ironic that evangelical and evangel- mm-hmm. evangelistic come from the same root word, gospel, evangel. And But we've entered this lull, I think, in part because there's been a bit of a backlash to past models that seemed reductionistic and... Um, and mechanistic, you know, you know, just answer these two questions. If you were to die today, you know for sure you go to heaven. And I'm not anti those questions, but what happened is people felt that they were, you know, reductionistic and mechanistic, and they moved away from them. And so now you're more likely to find someone uh, make jokes about the way they used to do evangelism and actually do evangelism. So first was, I think people have moved away, and that's part of the lull. Second, I think there's a real sense that a lot of people don't have confidence in the gospel today. Mm. There's a, we did a study at Lifeway Research, and about half the people who regularly attend an evangelical church give a pluralistic or a universalistic answer to questions about uh, the need for people to know Christ. And so these are regular church attenders of evangelical churches. And I would say, uh, even a higher percentage, would be functionally universalistic or pluralistic, sort of hoping that there's some sort of plan that God has. So I think you could start first with, with kind of the backlash old evangelical method. Second, you have the theological uncertainty about the uniqueness of Christ. And I would say, thirdly, evangelism falling on hard times in part because it's getting harder to share the gospel in a context where people are now further and further away from, you know, what their parents could have believed or their grandparents. And so you're starting, in a sense, 
with much more secular people. And if you combine those two things with, you know, a kind of a lack of confidence in the gospel and, and an uncertainty about approaches and methods, I think what you've ended up with is an evangelical church that's sort of on pause, trying to, you know, often finding everything else other than evangelism, talking about social justice, which I talk about, talking about societal transformation, which I think is super important, uh, whatever, talking about a hundred different things and then saying, oh, yeah, we still believe in evangelism. And can I say, by the way, saying we still believe in evangelism means you're about a decade from not believing in evangelism at all. So mm-hmm. I think I think we look at those things. Evangelism needs a uh, a booster. Mm-hmm. And so I left, you know, sure. Lifeway Research three and a half years ago. Loved the job there. Loved the role there. But I left it to, and I wrote about this in Washington Post because they asked me to write an article about why I left my job, which was fascinating. <laughs> but I want to spend the rest of my ministry sort of pulling the arc back to a greater sense that women and men without Christ are dead in their trespasses and sins and need to hear and respond to the good news of the gospel. So I'm passionate about that need for greater evangelism. Wow. Yeah, I appreciate that. And so let's, let's be clear about that for our listeners here. You know, when you talk about evangelism, how would you specifically define that? So evangelism is not the same as mission. So the mission of Jesus is we join Jesus on his mission, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. So when I do good deeds so that the world might be more like Jesus would want it to be, I think I'm very well aligned with Jesus' call to, well, in John 20, 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So I think I'm just perfectly aligned with what Jesus had in mind, because in Luke 4, 18 through 20, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me to preach the good news, talks about the marginalized people serving the hurting. Jesus came serving the hurting. So serving the hurting is part of Jesus' mission, but it's not evangelism. And that's important because what happens historically, and this happens every 50 years, it seems, in the church. It happened in the early part of the 1900s, happened again in the middle of the uh, 1900s. Um, And in a lot of evangelicals sound like it today. They're saying, well, we're doing evangelism with our deeds, not our words. And, you know, they quote the famous quote from St. Francis of Assisi, you know, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words, which is two problems with it. Number one, he never said it. And number two, it's really bad theology. Um, because you can't preach the gospel. You can, you can demonstrate what it means to live out the implications of the gospel. But um, so, so I think part of it is people confuse the mission and evangelism. So the mission is both gospel demonstration and gospel proclamation. Mm -hmm. But the mission, part of the mission is gospel proclamation, and that's what evangelism is. So evangelism, and I don't know that I'm writing out a technical definition. This is just a spur-of-the-moment conversation in the podcast. So evangelism, I believe, is the verbal articulation of the bad news of lostness and the good news of the gospel with the intent that the recipient might hear it and by grace and through faith respond to it. So I think evangelism at its simplest is the telling of the gospel. And But with evangelism, it's not just the telling. There's also a desired response and typically some sort of invitation to that response. So so I don't think I have a narrow—people de- say, do you have a narrow definition of evangelism? No, no, no. I think it's an accurate definition because you can't do evangelism— without communication. You can do missiology without cross-cultural communication, yet you can try to understand the people without communicating to them. You can be on mission by sharing and, uh, excuse me, by showing the love of Jesus to them. But evangelism requires women and men 
who will proclaim now i don't want to be too technical i don't mean just verbally it could be in writing but the gospel itself jesus death on the cross for our sin and in our place um in the sense that god humans christ response god humans christ response is sort of that that traditional formula of that that's evangelism and trying to make everything evangelism makes nothing evangelism evangelism is telling people about Jesus and inviting them ultimately to respond. Yeah, great stuff, great stuff. I appreciate you getting really clear for us there. I can always count. Well, on you know, that you have a movement. You, of course, you guys are in the, you know, CMA. You're kind of in a weird, like, historical journey uh, movement. But I mean, coming out of that holiness tradition, you know, the mergers and all that sort of stuff, there is a sense that there are societal transformations that are both expected and worked for in uh, CN. MA tradition, but one of the Christian Alliance, you know, Christian Alliance, which just precedes, you know, the, the yeah, mergers, right. um, you know, there's a very clear sense of what conversion is. And then holiness is a subsequent and even societal transformation are subsequent to that. And I think it's just important that we don't lose the clarity that's there. Yeah, Good. I appreciate that. So you've out, you know, I heard you say it even just now, you know, the idea of showing and sharing, it sounds like even though you're talking about proclamation here, that definitely needs to be accompanied by the showing part. Definitely needs to be accompanied by the showing part. You definitely, definitely might be too strong a word. I think, I think in more and more today, it's appropriate that we would be accompanied by the sharing part. But I think that if I meet a stranger on the street or, you know, an Uber driver uh, that I shared the gospel with last week, I don't know that she would perceive or know of the good deeds that glorify my fathers in heaven. So okay. I'm, I'm for those things. And I think for our witness increasingly in 2019 and beyond, where the, the world is more uh, suspicious of us, I think that our witness is enhanced by doing good deeds in the name of Jesus. But I don't think you have to do good deeds in each individual situation to tell somebody about Jesus. I mean, when the Ethiopian eunuch encounters Philip, Philip doesn't do good deeds. The Ethiopian eunuch says, you know, is this, who is this Messiah? And Philip tells him, and that's the totality of their interaction. So there was evangelism without demonstration. But I would say it's kind of normative historically that Christians are known for sharing the good news of the gospel in ways that are accompanied by uh, good deeds. Again, it's showing and sharing is a, is a much more common pattern, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. Helpful clarification. Uh, Ed, what, what does it look like for evangelism to be a part of our discipleship? Yeah. So, yeah, la the language and is, it's trickier. How is evangelism part of our discipleship? Because I don't know enough about how you and your movement see this. Um, so let me just answer as best I can. I think discipleship starts pre-conversion because even in Jesus' giving of the Great Commission, he says, make disciples of all nations. And assuming in that is the evangelistic uh, mandate, mm -hmm. right? There's, I mean, the nations, when Jesus says this, the nations are undiscipled. And so when he says, make disciples of all nations, there's a clear sense. And we just assume it. We think the Great Commission, we say it's about evangelism, but it doesn't say that. It says make disciples. So I think if I could redo a vocabulary in 2019 and beyond, I think part of the vocabulary I would redo is I would focus more on disciple making, which is a little different than the way you put it in discipleship. So if you want to take it and uh, do it in our graphic in our heads, I think disciple making is the totality of the process 
from being contacted with no knowledge of the gospel and having that first contact to the steps that lead to hearing the gospel to then hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel and disciple making then goes on from there and leads to ultimately becoming a multiplying disciple maker, um, her or himself. And, and then we'd overlay that and we'd say, okay, in our modern formulation, we would therefore say that evangelism is leads up to conversion and the discipleship is conversion and beyond. But I think that bifurcation is, is a bifurcation that you really wouldn't find in scripture. Um, and, and I get it. I'm not mad at people who say we know it's evangelize and then we do discipleship. Um, but, but I would say that's not the way the, uh, disciples would have seen that reality. They would have seen that reality as disciple making is what we're doing. And that includes contact and, you know, service and loving and witnessing relationships leading to gospel proclamation, where then there's a response by grace and through faith and, and then a continued growth. So, to your question, which I think assumes what I think would be a very natural assumption that I would say and you would say is that we have evangelism that's followed by discipleship. I think discipleship, the way we use it in a modern Western uh, language, I think discipleship would follow conversion in most people's mind and should include a passion for the gospel that we may now know for the first time being made known more broadly and more widely. So those are the things I'd want to see is the um, in our discipleship, I think again, what I talk about is is outcome based, mission driven discipleship. I want discipleship that's not simply finishing what I did. I mean, I'm, I'm not mad at anybody who you know. When I was disciples, new believer, they gave me these little booklets, and I worked through these little booklets. But none of it was particularly life on life. None of it was evangelistically centered. I do remember when I first came to Christ, I heard the gospel, and this band was playing, and the band said. The, 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 the speaker, I don't know who was the lead band member or speaker at this service. It was a while ago. But he said, we should go home and tell somebody about Jesus. First thing we should do is go tell somebody about Jesus. So because I didn't know anybody better, I did. I went home and told my, my dad. and Because uh, I didn't know people really didn't do that. So I went home and said, Dad, are you saved? Because that's the language that the person used. And my dad said, saved from what? And I said, I don't know, but you need to be. I just was. Uh, so, but I never heard about that again. And so what later on was seen as maturity. So it's like, then I take five books and at the end of five books, witness was at the end of five books and mission was, I don't think never, ever mentioned. So I think discipleship that's more mission driven and evangelistic focused is helpful, but categorically, okay. Cause I put, I put evangelism first and discipleship second, cause that's the normal Western way of doing things. I prefer something that combines the both under the category of disciple making. It's good. Yeah. Love it. Well, that's some really, that's some really good, clear thinking. Thank you so Sorry. much. Sorry, a lot of detail no. there. I, I answer no, no, like a podcast. Wait. I have long questions on long answers on podcasts. That's we, all right. We like we, them. You They're know, good I never answers. do podcasts except the one that I do. So I, I'm, I'm, this is kind of fun. But I, I like what you guys are doing. And I'm happy to be a small part. Thank you very well, much. Thank you so much for being part. I did not know that about you. So thank you, you for saying yes to us. I think the last podcast I did was Kerry Newhoff's, and he's listened to like everybody listens to Kerry Newhoff podcast. But but since I'm I'm learning and getting to know the uh, Chris, Christian and Missionary Alliance better, it's kind of fun to take the opportunity to do that. Well, we really appreciate you yeah. doing it. So you know, let's shift gears a little bit on that. Then you know how, and you hinted around this a little bit earlier. But what do you think is currently keeping God's people from sharing the good news of Jesus with others? Yeah, you know, uh, most people don't say I hint around things. They, they, that's a new <laughs> phrase for Subtlety uh, is not my strength. You pass through it quickly. How's that? Yeah, that's a better way to put it. Yeah, and we, let's certainly let's dwell a little deeper on that question. You know, it's it seems to me 
that it's a plethora of categories. I, I think to add to the categories I gave earlier, I think that, you know, when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, uh, harvest plentiful, but the laborers are few, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Um, I think people sometimes forget that right before that, Matthew in, was that Matthew 9, 35 to 38, that Matthew is actually describing Jesus' emotional state, which is very fascinating to me. He says he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, you know, they're tossed about, and he had compassion for them. The Greek word there is doesn't translate well in English, but it's this deep, abiding, gut-wrenching affection. And I think that it's strange that Matthew would describe the emotional uh, state of Jesus. That's an unusual thing. So if it's an unusual thing, there's something going on there. So I think Matthew wants us to know that Jesus' heart was and is for people who do not know him. And I think that one of the reasons that people don't respond and share the gospel with people is they don't share the deep compassion that Jesus has. And so I, I, I pray that people might, might weep with Jesus. I might look over their city and weep because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And I think as churches and Christians, but as hopefully churches together are burdened deeply with the fact that their city is filled with people who don't know Christ. So I think a compassion for lostness really, really does matter. Another thing I would say, in addition to the kind of the things we mentioned earlier, is I think there's a fear of not having the answers. I think that you know, if you sharing the gospel in the 50s was a lot easier enterprise. It was basically, you know, even people who didn't go to church sort of thought that, you know, the church was good and probably one day when you're done sowing your wild oats, you'll go back to church. And so someone shares the gospel with you if it's the right time. You have the general framework of the gospel. You know that God wrote a book called the Bible, but you don't really know you can understand it. You know he, he, he sent a son, but you don't really know what that means for you personally, how you might know him personally. So evangelism in a Christendom age was largely driven by telling people, in a sense, the details of what they already had an idea about. And so, but today it's just different. So what if somebody says, well, why is Jesus the only way? Or what if someone says, well, what do you believe about creation? What if some, you know, a hundred things that people could say and people get nervous that I won't know what to say. Now I recognize that coming because I, I'm, I'm sort of the person who sometimes trains people on what to say around these questions. So I have a certain level of, I don't know what you'd call it, but a certain level of confidence. But for people who don't have that, I think they're afraid. And I think what I'd say to them is you can say, I don't know. And what a great opportunity to learn and listen together so that you can share that with your friend who doesn't know Christ. And I'll give one final, you know, three, three things in this segment. We had three earlier. Um, one final thing is I think people think their lives aren't good enough for them to be witnesses. Mm. And I think that they think, well, if I just was more godly, I'd witness. Can I just tell you that you never get so perfect in godless and godly perfection, you never achieve the fullness of sanctification to speak in language of the holiness movement in such a way that you can say, well, finally, no one would look at me and doubt that I might have made some mistakes or imperfections in my life. Um, one of the things I love about witnessing is I can be open and share that, the, that I too am imperfect and broken, but Jesus saved me and he's changed me and he's making me whole. So I think those things are things that sort of drive people, um, well, maybe drives wrong term, but it kind of, it caused people to be tentative about sharing the gospel. Uh, good observations all. And um, so we're aimed at trying to equip pastors and leaders in the church uh, on this podcast. And um, 
So they're talking to people every week, ministering to people every week who are going through some of the struggles and hesitations that you're talking about in terms of of uh, sharing their faith. How can those pastors and leaders help evangelism become more normal uh, in their congregations? That's a great question. How to make evangelism more normal in your congregational life. Okay, a few things. I think first, um, one of the great challenges is, is that there's a tendency among pastors to preach and teach people to do things that they think they should do, but the people don't hear that they're doing, and the end result is it becomes sort of a do what I say, not what I do. So I think that one of the best gifts pastors and leaders can give to congregants and parishioners about evangelism is actually to tell stories about their own engagement and involvement with it uh, so that it's a normalized part of life. So, and I, and I was convicted of this in my own life. And so Don and I, we actually mapped out our neighborhood, our eight closest neighbors who, um, who we knew uh, didn't know Christ just based on some level of interaction. And then I sought to, we sought to over time share the gospel with each of them. And we had the privilege of sharing the gospel with seven of eight of them, baptizing, uh, leading to Christ, this couple three doors down, baptizing them, see them become leaders in the church, leading to Christ, the gentleman kind of behind us to the left, uh, bapt- uh, baptizing the couple three doors down the other side. Um, and then two of them, two of the three, actually ended up coming to our church. One went to another church, which was great. Our church was kind of contemporary for them. But, um, but so then to actually be able to say, um, and with permission, you know, well, you know, this is important for all of us. Let me tell you what, in our small group, in our small group, we're engaging our neighbors. As a matter of fact, some of you know our neighbors. We had the privilege of leading them to Christ and baptizing them. And that becomes more normalized. Now, again, it's still you're a pastor, so it's not completely normal. Because you're like, well, you're a pastor, so maybe you have some sort of special ability to do that. Um, but I would say for pastors, you can't lead what you won't live. For church yeah, staff, you, won't, you can't lead what you won't live. So being personally evangelistic in your neighborhood, now don't say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism because nobody does. There's no gift of evangelism in the Bible. Look it up. Call me. You won't find it. There are evangelists that God gives to equip his people because all of his people are called to evangelism. So, so I think first, if you're going to lead a church that way, you've got, to, um, you've got to personally model that. Second, I think ultimately you need to find time for it. You know, one of the things that I'm sure a lot of the listeners have, um, you know, gone through like, natural church development or transformational church or some sort of those studies. Right. And, you know, it's interesting whenever someone does those studies, I would say pretty consistently they come back and they say, there are two low points for us, right? Maybe it's uh, prayer and evangelism, or maybe it's uh, maybe it's fellowship and evangelism. And what's fascinating is, is they come back and they say, okay, here's our problems. We're low on fellowship and evangelism. And so they then immediately appoint a committee, a committee or a group to help grow the fellowship of the church. <laughs> and it's okay that the evangelism is low. It's consistently okay. People look at me, well, our evangelism is low, but man, we could grow our fellowship. And so what I would say is you have to, and I would, what I'd look for particularly are evangelists in the church. Now we think of evangelists, we think of, uh, you know, CNMA is not dissimilar from my denomination where people would do spring and fall revivals. And those were evangelists and but what I'm talking about is people who God has placed in your church, who have a passion for evangelism, who you're not just going to say, well, go and do it, but you're going to say, help me equip the whole church to do it. So you need to find time and place. If it's a priority, you talk about it. You need to teach people how to do it. You need to ask people to do it and go with them while they do it. And sometimes when I want to say, well, go with them. Some people think I'm talking about Tuesday night visitation. That's fine too. I'm for that. Um, but I'm talking more about 
helping people get in the habit of starting conversations that are spiritual conversations that can lead to impactful things. So how do you get them started first, model it, second, kind of plan for it in the life of the church and make that a priority? I would say if you're a pastor and church leader, uh, preach and teach on it is key. That's the third thing, preach and teach on it. Taking the time to communicate. Train everybody in evangelism on a Sunday morning. I mean, because they don't come out to Tuesday night and say, listen, I'm going to take 30 minutes today. I'm going to talk about how you can share your faith. And boom, here's how we do it. Walk the, do it, do it once a year. Communicate with everybody how to do it and help them ultimately to do it. I, I do think that it's a church's responsibility when they disciple people that they need to come out being people who want to share the gospel and who aren't afraid to do so, but will do so. Trusting Lord for the results, but taking steps of faith. Wow. I can't say I've ever really heard anybody train their people to share their faith on a Sunday morning. Terry, yeah, no, I've that, seen it. I've seen it. It's pretty cool. It? Yeah, I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, it sounds great. Yeah. I got the idea. It wasn't yeah. my idea. And I'm like, that is a great idea. What, 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 uh, it was a pastor. What he, what he said was, he said, uh, his exact words were, this is something the whole church should be doing. So why would I not do it while the whole church is gathered? Yeah. And it makes, makes a lot of sense. sense. Think about it. Makes a lot of Damn. sense. That's fantastic. Yep. So obviously, you know, as part of our tradition, prayer is a big deal, like it is in a lot of denominations. We're not trying to toot our horn there at all, but where is the intersection there uh, in the role? Because some people say, well, I'm just praying and hoping it comes to me, hoping it comes to us. But where does that intersection of prayer and evangelism come together? So it is interesting that we actually can see this textually. And I don't think this is the, the whole story, but we see this in, in that passage in Matthew 9 where Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest who might send workers into his harvest field. But Matthew chapter 9 ends at verse 38, if my recollection is correct. Then Matthew chapter 10 starts. So in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send workers into his harvest field. In Matthew chapter 10, he sends them as workers into the harvest field. So it's I, I, I sometimes see this passage, and it reminds me, I stood in my daughter's room. My daughter, I have one daughter who's kind of a messy child. And I stood in her room once and I said, don't you think that teenagers in this town would know how to clean their rooms, right? Now, I was not talking about generic teenagers. I was talking about her. Well, I think so it is with Jesus in Matthew 9 when he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers in his harvest field. And then the very next chapter, really for the first time, you know, they move from being the um, <coughs> objects of Jesus' ministry to the partners of Jesus' ministry. Yeah. And then they are sent out as disciples. So, so I would say prayer motivates us. And in part, you know, I actually encourage people. I don't have the sheet in front of me, but I could hold it up if I did. Like in my Bible, I have a list of people I'm praying for. And as I pray for them, I'm looking for opportunities that God might open to share the gospel with them. And so prayer has become a key part um, of the evangelism passion that keeps in my heart, but also of how I pray and God opens doors and I step into those doors in obedience. So all I think I think prayer is deeply connected, and I love that you're you are indeed a prayer-driven movement. So Ed, you've written about the necessity uh, for God's people to embrace their missionary identity and understand they are a convictional minority. Uh, can you unpack those uh, two terms for us, please? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, okay, so missionary identity I think is one of the key things for. For the future, because I think what's happening is the culture is becoming more uh, hostile towards things of Christian faith. Uh, part of what we have to do is embrace the reality of that uh, distance from culture 
and see culture more and more as a missionary encounter and less and less as kind of a near culture conversation among people who are almost Christian. So I think that um, acknowledging the fact that we are the exile, we are not Israel, acknowledging that um, that we've got a different posture, that people are more secular in culture, more secular every single year. Um, I think that kind of sets up a new way of thinking about how we might do uh, and be on mission, how we might do mission, how we might be uh, on mission. I think that really, really does matter. Now, um, as such, this is where you mentioned the convictional minority. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes too many Christians sort of pine away for the kind of what it was in the past that was never really that great, but kind of pine away for what it was in the past. And what I would say is, I think instead, a better way is just to acknowledge this is not our home. These are not, this is not our world. The world's broken, needs Jesus. We're broken too, but we, 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 we can be the bearers of the good news of the gospel. But to stop trying to exert power and in a sense descend into the greatness of service and mission, I think that would make a great difference. So here's the thought. You know, we've got resources that are helpful to us, but what would you say are some great places for pastors to start with resources to really get them going? My book, Christians in the Age of Outrage, is that shameless? Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, we want actually we want you to promote your resources. That's great. And we'll put those in the show notes. That's actually I'm reading it right now, as a matter of fact. So oh, you're very gracious, ready for election two thousand twenty. I would just have a little fun. So for me, you know, Christians in the Age of Outrage is an attempt, it's a missiology to twenty 19 culture to contemporary culture and so that's a missional lens to it it's got some stuff on evangelism but i would say i'd read the rise of the nuns by james emory white i'd read you found me by uh by rick richardson based on some really great research about how churches are indeed reaching unchurched people and what that ultimately looks like so i think there are people talking about these things and resources that are out there here here's what i found you guys have your own resource development too there in in, in your world what I found is, is that pretty much any church that will find something to walk in and walk through has found a successful path towards a greater sense of mission. Cause just in the, in the doing of these things, the, um, the, the congregation is stirred and encouraged and move forward. And it does seem to change. It seems to change the feeling of the congregation when the congregation itself is making those steps. That's definitely a leadership issue yeah. there for sure. And that yeah, momentum sure. changes yeah. everything. That's beautiful. Well, Ed, we want you to know that uh, we appreciate your voice in the uh, church today and uh, helping the church know how to relate to and connect with and influence the culture and uh, people in the culture. So uh, uh, we really have a great respect for you and your work in ministry, things you're writing, things you're saying, and we appreciate you taking the time out today to uh, join us on Equipping You podcast. Glad to do it. Thankful for the listeners and thankful for you guys and the good work you're doing. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ed. So uh, great stuff from Ed Stetzer uh, today. Uh, Alan, he even respectfully uh, corrected us a couple of times and rightly so. Uh, what'd you think of that interview? Well, we definitely got uh, what we hoped for, uh, some great, clear talk on evangelism and some really practical steps for helping our pastors and church leaders help evangelism become more normal in their congregations. Uh, so I'm really thankful for the clarity that he provided 
uh, and hoping that our pastors take time to ponder this and share it. So yes, share it. We usually say share it with uh, uh, on social media and any way you can, and by all means do that. But share this one with your church leaders as well. If you're a pastor or if you're an elder listening to this, why not listen to it together in your next uh, meeting and, and discuss ways that you can better evangelize and reach people for Jesus Christ in your own uh, community. Hey, and I have two more ideas for sharing it, Terry. Good. Uh, one would be, you know, there are some people that maybe in your church you might not say ever have identified as an evangelist, but they may be more enthused about sharing their faith and other people in your congregation. So think about sharing this with them to kind of stoke their fires. And also, this would be a great episode, especially at the start of season three, to share with some other Alliance pastors and say, hey, have you been listening to this? Because this is fire. There you go. There you go. Uh, yes, indeed. We find Alliance pastors out there who have not yet heard of uh, Equipping You podcast. So spread the word every I'm way. I'm not sure how that can be. I don't either. But spread the word every way you possibly can. So thanks for listening today. Hope it's been helpful to you. We look forward to uh, being with you again on the uh, next episode of Equipping You podcast. Until then, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.